0: Hey, it's the Steve Blues Benson podcast. Great to come to you here today on a beautiful Sunday afternoon. I'm sitting in my office. I'm at my desk. I've upgraded my game here a little bit. I have a brand new microphone. I'm hoping that uh, this improves some of the sound quality. This is episode 19 of the podcast. Episode 19. I'm uh, learning how to do such a thing as a podcast like this, and my title of this podcast is "So You Want Me to Read the." Bible. So you want me to read the Bible. That's what I want you to do. I want you to read the Bible. You know, I, about a month or so ago, I had somebody, uh, ask me to, uh, to do a whole podcast on how to read the Bible, especially they wanted to know um, how to determine which are the authentic teachings from Jesus and which are the inauthentic teachings from Jesus. So I decided I've been working on this podcast for a while. I've got a bunch of notes that are cast in front of me, set out in front of me. and, And here's the hard thing. Usually I do this in a lecture form usually I have a group of people. I have a whiteboard. I have multicolored pens and I get to scribble and draw and make diagrams. And instead, it's just me and the microphone. And my concern is that this is going to turn into a lecture. And that's the last thing I want to do is to bore you. And so if you get bored, then then go listen to a different podcast, do something else. But hopefully, Hopefully, I have something here that you can hold on to that will help you interpret the Bible. Now, let me back way, way up and let me tell you about my view of the Bible. Now, I'm crazy about the Bible. You know, I love every bit of it. You know, I have an e Bible, but I prefer the Bible in book form. I love the leather cover, the gold embossed edges of the pages. I love the feel of it in my hand. I love to open it and just begin reading. At anywhere, you know, the sacrifices in Leviticus they kind of stifle me. I love the erotic passion in the Song of Solomon. You know, I'm moved when Jesus weeps outside of Lazarus's tomb. My heart aches for Jesus when he hears that his cousin John the Baptist has been beheaded. I just that part just breaks my heart. You know, I feel the women's, women's fears. They stood outside of the empty tomb. You now, I agree with Paul when he chastises the foolish Galatians. The mark of the beast in Revelation spooks me. You know, I open the Bible and I hear God speak to me. I lift its pages to my lips and I kiss it as I read. It is holy. It is sacred. And I bow before its wisdom. Now, it always hasn't been this way. You know, way back many, many years ago, during one of my dark times in my life, when I was a young, young, uh, a young minister, actually when I was in seminary, I burned my Bible. I did this because tearing it up wasn't enough. I ripped the covers off, and literally tore it page by page. It was a time when I felt abandoned by God. Not that I didn't believe in God, but it was though so God had been there and walked away. God didn't care, God was a traitor, a liar, and had let me down. If the Bible speaks of God's love, then it was wrong. If God speaks to the Bible, then God stopped speaking to me. God walked away from me, so I would walk away from God. Tearing out the pages was the only way of expressing this pain. When that wasn't enough, I took the pile of pages to the backyard, threw on some gas lit a match, and watched God's word burn as the tears ran down my face. Now, it's been 35 years since I burned the Bible. I think I was a freshman in seminary when I did that. You know, I've learned that uh, during our pain, God is with us, holding our souls as a mother holds her children. You know, but I learned this by returning to the Bible repeatedly, reading and contemplating its words. My faith in God through Jesus has been shaped and formed by the Bible. I love my Bible. But I also have to remember that Jesus himself was very wary, wary of scriptures. In the early centuries, the Jewish people understood their relationship with God through the Hebrew Bible. What you ate, what you wore, what you did, what you said and lived was governed by the scriptures. Then there were scribes and lawyers and Pharisees who interpreted the sacred books for the people. The average Hebrew person was lost and bewildered in a maze of legalisms and laws. Through the legalisms of the scribes and Pharisees, people felt unclean and unwelcome to God's presence. This legalism, when Jesus came around, made Jesus angry. And so much so that he said, and this is one of my favorite quotes about the Bible, Jesus said, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that testify on my behalf. That's from John's Gospel. We say that again. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that testify on my behalf. Jesus wanted to drag people's noses out of the scriptures, he wanted them to see that eternal life was not found in reading, interpreting, or adhering in to scriptures. Eternal life was found through a relationship with him. This is fundamental. We, if you're going to be a Christian, if you're going to follow Jesus, if you're going to read the Bible, you have to remember that Jesus was weary of the weary of the Bible. He didn't want people to get so hung up on the Bible that they thought that all the answers was, were found in the Bible. He wanted people to see the answers were found in a relationship with him. Now think about this one. Jesus never wrote a book. Why did he not write a book? Because if he had... People would have worshiped that book as being holy writ. They would have hold it up as being holy and sacred. And they would have missed the point. The point is a person, Jesus. The, pers- the purpose is relationship with Jesus. This relationship is living and dynamic. Now, th- now for me, this is my example I have a living, dynamic relationship with my wife of 38 years. We have three grown children. The five of us love each other, but we also have disagreements. When my kids were teenagers, they baffled me. Now as adults, I'm fascinated as I watch them shape their lives. As a family, we're far from perfect, but we're deeply committed to each other to the point of sacrificing our lives for each other if necessary. The key is that it's dynamic. The same is true for our relationship with Jesus. It is dynamic. It is so dynamic that it transcends something that can be lost, that can be found in the Bible. There are times when I love Jesus and times when I'm angry with Him. There are times when I'm as baffled with Jesus as I was with my teen- teenagers. There are times when I scratch my head and wonder at the things He said and did and what He meant. I know that His love humbles me, and I desired nothing more than to build a relationship with Jesus. However, the source of my relationship is more than the Bible, but it is found in the Bible. This is the key thing. It's more than the Bible, but it's found in the Bible. It's a cycle to have this dynamic relationship with Jesus. It is more than the Bible, but it's found in the Bible to know about Jesus and his teachings You have to go to the Bible. You have to go to that which he was wary of. The more I read about Jesus, the more I love the scriptures telling me about him. The more I desire to learn about God, the more I love the pages of the Bible where God speaks to me. My Bible is holy to me because it teaches about the sacred relationship I have with God through Jesus. But I must remember If the Bible is not holy, it's just a book pointing to what is holy, my relationship with Jesus. Now, hopefully you can see that cycle. The relationship with Jesus is holy, but I have to discover that which is holy by going to that which Jesus was wary of, the Bible. Now, this tension between Jesus and the Bible, it cannot be resolved. If you want to follow Jesus... You need to read the Bible. God speaks to the Bible in a transformative way. The transformation is so profound, you are tempted to think that the Bible transformed you and you want to call it holy. Get this. Remember this. The Bible is not holy in and of itself. It's only a book. It's a group of books. It is the Spirit of God speaking through the Bible to you. That is what is holy. The Bible is the medium, the tool through which God speaks. The Bible is the medium, the tool where God convicts, guides, and teaches those who follow Jesus. But it is not the end all and be all. The end all and be all is a relationship with Jesus to which the Bible points. You've got to get that point. The Bible is not holy in and of itself. The relationship with Jesus that is what is holy. The Bible points to that which is holy. Now, let's look at reading the Bible. The Bible is a confusing book to read. Um, I always tell people, don't read it cover to cover. It wasn't intended to be read this way. You know, when someone tells me they've uh, read the Bible cover to cover, you know, I, I wonder why they did that. I mean, I admire their commitment. I know what they're going for. They want to read the whole Bible. But by reading it front to back, it confuses their understanding of the Bible. The Bible is not a linear front-to-back rendering of what happens over a period of time. The Bible is a mixture of histories, sagas, poems, songs, prophecies, proverbs, letters, and novellas. Each reflect different eras from Israel's history. There is an actual history of the area we call Israel that is found in history books. But the Bible is not a history book. It's a book about a people's history who lived in the land called Israel. But this is important to understand. The Bible is not a history book. It's not a history book of of how the world was created. That's a story from the book of Genesis. The Bible is not a scientific textbook. It's not a geology book. You know, the the world is millions of years old. According to the Bible, it's just a few thousand years old. That's not the way the world was created. It is not the way that human beings developed. You know, humans, beings developed, you know, through a long period of of genetics and history. The Bible does not recount that type of history. It's a story about people's interaction with God. Now, the entire Bible is important. But for the Gospels, for Christians, the Gospels are of particular interest because they tell the stories about Jesus. Now, let me dive into this. Now, let me track with me as I talk about this. You know, I often wish Jesus lived to the age of 85. If he had reached that ripe old age, there would have been plenty of time to record what he said and he believed. We would have had volumes of his teachings, but we don't. He died at the age of 33. He has stories that people told after he died. They handed those stories down generation after generation. You know, the four Gospels were written... Uh, Forty to fifty years after he left, after he lived, they are beautiful, sweeping accounts of Jesus' life. You know, to begin, you know, I recommend that you start by reading the Gospels. As you do, though, there are a few helpful insights. The Gospels are not literal accounts of Jesus' life. There was no one following Jesus around with a steno pad, copying down every word. Nor are the Gospels a transcript of a movie. The disciples and others that followed Jesus relied on oral tradition. Their lives with Jesus were dynamic. The first disciples began telling the stories of Jesus after Jesus' death. But they weren't the ones who eventually wrote the Gospels down. People think that Matthew, Matthew's Gospel, Matthew was one of the disciples who walked with Jesus and therefore wrote down everything Jesus said. That's not The case. In fact, scholars believe that there was no Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Those were names that were later attributed to the Gospels. Really, the authors of the Gospels are these anonymous characters that are part of histories. So as the stories were handed down, generation after generation, I hope you can see my hands as they are moving across this whiteboard in front of me. As these, uh, as these stories were handed down, generation after generation, subsequent generations embellished these stories. And, and then this is what was key. It started happening. The first, eye, the first generation eyewitnesses of Jesus, they died. The stories that were passed down kept on living. And then by the last third of the first century, individual church communities developed their own unique beliefs based upon the context of which they lived. So while the churches were similar in structure, each wrestled with what it meant to follow Jesus. The church in Ephesus, the church in Corinth, the churches in Galatia, they all had different contexts in which they lived. They had stories of the life of Jesus that were passed down to them, but each of them lived in different contexts. So what the authors wanted to do was they wanted to take these stories and apply it to their own day and in their own era. So when you lay the Gospels side by side, You'll notice that they are similar, but yet they are different. Why are these differences between the four Gospels? I think the question gets at the heart of the meaning of each Gospel. Where are they different and why are they different? You know, Each Gospel was written with the specific needs of community in mind. Matthew wrote about Jesus addressing the questions of his community, as did Mark, Luke, and John. The most significant part of each gospel is the title, the gospel according to Matthew, the gospel according to Mark, according to Luke, and according to John. In fact, sometimes I think that the most important word in the Bible is this word according to. Each church was different. Each gospel writer was different. Each gospel writer took the stories that were passed down to them, plus many other stories that the other authors didn't have. Then they wrote their gospels according to the challenges that their churches faced. They wanted to take the teachings of Jesus and make it living and alive and dynamic for their own community. This doesn't mean that one gospel is less important than the others. It just means that the issues each author faced were significant. Again, my hands are all over the place. I wish you could see my hands and my face because I'm trying to emphasize these different points. The authors wanted the stories of Jesus to be relevant for their people. In the same way that we interpret the stories of Jesus for our lives... So did these first authors. They wanted to interpret the stories of Jesus for their lives. Now, many ask me, since each gospel tells different stories about about the life of Jesus, are some stories more authentic than the others? Now, there are. Some of the lessons and parables accurately retell the history of the man Jesus who lived... While others are an interpretation. Now how do you tell the difference? This is what this person was getting at who wanted me to do this podcast. How can you tell the difference between the authentic teachings of Jesus and the inauthentic teachings of Jesus? Now this can be a bit challenging to discern. Um, There are scholars, it's called the search for the historical Jesus as early as the 1880s. Scholars have been working to separate out these two types of stories um, there are many books that are written by this. You can uh, grab a hold of some of these books as the scholars kind of really dive into it. For me, I don't want to always be diving into, uh, into the scholars. i tried to back off a little bit and try to come to my own understanding of how to discern the authentic stories versus the inauthentic stories. You know, some stories, they just ring with authenticity. For me, the Sermon on the Mount rings with awesome authenticity Many parables ring with authenticity. Uh, The two great commandments ring with authenticity. You know, other stories, they seem out of character with the Jesus who taught about love and forgiveness. For example, there are stories where he rants in anger at different groups of people. You know, for me, those don't feel authentic. They don't feel authentic to the Jesus that I know. Uh, What about the miracles? Are they authentic? Again, scholars disagree on their interpretation of the miracles. You know, for me, the miracles are not near as important as the teachings. You know, for me, if the miracles happened, okay... That's good. They kind of talk about the the grand authority of Jesus, his grand presence, but you know, if Jesus didn't walk on water, my world wouldn't collapse. My faith wouldn't collapse if if I found that Jesus didn't still the storm. I mean, for me, I kind of get what these authors are trying to say, but for me the miracles are not the point of the story. His teachings are the point of the stories. Now, By me questioning such things as the miracles, does it lessen the authority? Does it lessen the impact on our lives? For me, not at all. It just means that we should interpret the stories for our own lives, just as Christians have had to do for centuries, just as the gospel writers had to do for their own communities. So then, how do you tell the difference between the authentic and those that aren't? So short of being an academic and reading uh, scholarly journals, I often go to a very subjective insight and ask, does this passage, does this teaching ring with the authority of the historical Jesus who walked the planet? Would the historical Jesus say these things? Now, I always have to remember that uh, Jesus was a spicy character He didn't mince mince words. Uh, He wasn't afraid to offend people, um, even if it made people angry, if he needed to do that. But I also know that many of the original stories that were handed down were then used by the authors of the Gospels for their own ends. Sometimes the Gospel writers wrote stories and put them into the mouth of Jesus to make their point for their particular community. Hopefully you're beginning to see this. That's why... When I read the gospel, when I read a story about Jesus, I ask myself, who wrote this story? Matthew? Mark? Luke? John? I ask myself, how long after Jesus did this person live? Mark is the earliest gospel writing in 75 Matthew, writing much later in 85, Luke in 85, uh, John sometime in 95, if not um, after the end of the first century. Jesus lived in the first century up to the year 33. So we're talking about, you know, know, 40 years, 40, 50, 60 years after Jesus uh, passed away. Then I asked myself, okay, what is the axe that Matthew has to grind? What is the acts that Luke has to run? In other words, they're all trying to make a point. You know, is it the historical Jesus that is angry in the passage? Or is it the author that is angry? You know, uh, in Matthew's Gospel, uh, Jesus is always angry with the Pharisees. Now, the historical Jesus might have been angry with the Pharisees, But I definitely know that Matthew, writing in his era, he was angry with the Pharisees. So I always have to ask myself, is this the historical Jesus who is pissed off at the Pharisees? Can I say pissed off in in a podcast I just did? Is it the historical Jesus that is angry, or is it Matthew that is angry? You know, I ask myself, does this passage jive with what I think Jesus would have said? Does it jive with my own life and my own faith? Does this passage challenge my own way of thinking? If so, how? You know, it's by working my way through these uh, through these questions that I begin to distill what are the authentic teachings of Jesus and which are those that are being filtered by the gospel writers some forty years later. I also use. Uh, commentaries. I use a Bible atlas. I get on a line. I do a lot of research and reading and I realize that people disagree right and left. Some people say you got to take the Bible literally. Other people like myself say you got to take the Bible seriously. You know, once I was in someone's house and they had a huge banner in their living room that said, God said it. I believe it. That's it. God said it, I believe it, that's it, a huge banner that was uh, above their living room couch. And I thought to myself, wow, there's no room for conversation. There's no room for dialogue. There's no room for science, geology, historical criticism, literary literary, literary criticism. They believe God spoke directly through the Bible, and that's it. For me, the Bible is way too important to take this approach. This is why Jesus was leery of the scriptures. We end up holding them as being sacred and holy writ, that God spoke through the Bible, and that's it. We have to remember that Jesus was wary of this type of approach to the Bible. For Jesus, what is sacred is a relationship with Him. A relationship with Him. So you can study the Bible for years and years. You can start asking the questions, you know, what are the authentic? What are the inauthentic? And you can study that and come to your own conclusions. You can listen to this podcast and so many other people who do podcasts on this topic. But you've got to remember, in the end, you've got to put the Bible down. And you have to pick up your faith. You have to pick up your relationship. You know, if you were stranded on a deserted aisle and you didn't have a Bible, could you have a relationship with God? Absolutely. And that might be the most authentic relationship with God. It's one where you might not have had the Bible because, again, Jesus was weary of the Scriptures. You search the Scriptures because you think you have life in them and it is they that point to me. Get your nose out of the Bible. Study the Bible. It's that cycle that I talked about. You study the Bible because it's through the Bible that you learn about Jesus, and you want to call the Bible holy. The Bible is not holy. The Bible is a book. A group of books come together, What is holy is what the Bible points to. And I just took my big old finger and I pointed to the microphone. It's what the Bible points to. And that is your, I'm pointing at you, your relationship with Jesus. That, that is what is holy. So it's been 34 years since I burned the Bible. I now understand how the stories of the Bible weave their way through the history of the people and through my personal stories as well. You know, the Bible for me is living and dynamic. However, I can't say this enough. The key that I remember is that the Bible is a book. What is holy is a relationship, my relationship with Jesus. So there. There's your big old lecture for the day about the Bible. I hope the person who uh, who requested this podcast is listening to it. I hope the rest of you got something out of it. Uh, maybe you need to come to one of my classes when I teach a kind of a 101 Bible so you can see my diagrams and you can see my, my hands kind of flailing about. It's kind of funny doing this kind of blind where I'm trying to teach and point at uh, different points on my notes and you're just listening. Hey, I hope you're enjoying the podcast. I've got a really excited thing that I'm coming up. I'm going to do a whole series on cults, sex, and closed theologies. I've been reading a lot of about people talking about spiritual abuse, and I want to do a whole thing on spiritual abuse and how we can avoid cults and sex and closed theological thinking. I've got three great interviews that I'm going to be doing to have uh, people who, uh, one person who was involved in a cult, another who was involved in a sect, another who left the church because of its close thinking. So I've got some great ideas. Again, if you have an idea of something that you want me to do a podcast, let me know, and i will be happy to work it up. Okay, there you go, another episode of the Steve Poos Benson Podcast. Thank you for listening, and enjoy a beautiful spring afternoon. Take care.